Hello again. Well, they are back. Today is the first day of the new semester for Georgetown University students. Have you noticed their hustle and bustle the past several days? And next Monday, our own Holy Trinity school children will begin their new semester. I can't wait to see their joyful faces as they are dropped off by their parents. Believe it or not, this year will represent the 206th year for Holy Trinity School to open its doors. And so, folks, with the birth of another semester, we can anticipate summer stories being told and retold. Were you ever asked to write a story about what were the highlights of your summer vacation? Stories abound in the Bible, and today we have a story in both the first reading from the book of Judges and one from Matthew's Gospel. Actually, the Old, Old Testament story is in the form of a fable, and the latter is one of Jesus' parables. In the book of Judges, we read Jotham's fable of the trees. This paints a vivid picture of the different qualities that potential rulers possess. The olive tree, fig tree, and vine all refuse the offer to rule, recognizing the value of their own unique contributions. But the thorn bush, with its sharpness and lack of utility, eagerly accepts the role. This parable, this allegory, serves as a powerful commentary on the danger of placing power in the hands of those who lack true wisdom and virtue. And that's what the fable was against in the context of the book of Judges. But as we look at the campaign for the 2024 presidential election, as it heats up, one can readily find relevance in the fable's cautious advice. Meanwhile, in Jesus' parable of the laborers in the vineyard, we find a different nuance about leadership and the authority of God to judge wisely. It is interesting to note that the parable is preceded in Matthew's Gospel by the story of the rich young man. And this story concludes with Jesus' principle, quote, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first, unquote. Similarly, the parable concludes with this same sentence. Don't you find that interesting? Turning to the parable itself, according to the biblical scholar, Father John Dunyu, the parable may be divided into three acts. The first act begins with the day laborers waiting for work. It's important to note that it is the householder rather than his steward who goes out to find the laborers and offer them a job. It's also interesting that there are three different wage agreements. The first group agrees to a normal day's wage. Those hired at the third hour agree to whatever is right, as presumably those who, who are hired in the sixth and ninth hour, and then finally those hired at the eleventh hour receives the same wage. Thus the first act comes to a close. The second act commences with the owner's order to the steward to assemble all the workers. And here's where the parable's dramatic and surprising tensions occur. As all the workers receive the same wage, and they're, they're not happy. Understandably, those labor, laborers who work longer hours are upset when those who are worked fewer hours are given the same wage. Wouldn't you be upset? What about the principle of a just wage being based on the hours of work? That is, equal pay for equal work. What is Jesus trying to say by portraying such seemingly unequal wages given by the owner in this parable? At this point, 
the third act begins, whereby we read of a dialogue between the owner and the laborers, concluding with that famous phrase, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Folks, through this parable, might Jesus be suggesting a different order than one conceived in terms of human justice alone. Perhaps Jesus is suggesting a new form of justice, one that involves interdependency rather than an individualism or dependency in a competitive way. According to this to this past Tuesday's Washington Post, there is a story about a high school school teacher at St. Ignatius Prep in Cleveland who asked his students to perform a distinctive exercise on interdependency. He asked his students to write down what they've done in the past 24 hours to contribute to their well-being in one column and in the other column what everything others have done for them. At first, there is a 50-50 split among in each column, but then the instructor asks the students questions such as, who teaches and who coaches you? Who encourages you through setbacks? These questions serve to awaken the students, and they realize that they depend on others so that the ratio of dependency on their well-being through actions of others shifted to 95% versus the 5% of their own actions. The author of the article, Jennifer Brehaney Walsh, goes on to suggest that children need to be taught not to see their education as individualistic, but interdependent. She notes, quote, too often in competitive environments, students believe that by admitting that they need support means that they're inadequate. She goes on to cite her research on this social issue, stating, quote, children trained in the skills of interdependence better handle setbacks or the uncertainties of their future, because they are grounded in their communities, unquote. Folks, looked at through the lens of Wallace's article, then might the parable of the laborers in the vineyard be seen as Jesus placing greater emphasis on interdependency, that is, on the potential of community that could be formed by the laborers working together and receiving equal pay, rather than their individual work for wages. And in this respect, it does not really matter who comes first or less. As independents, they all labor together and are rewarded together. And folks, is this not what each of us are called to as Christians in one community of faith, laboring for the greater glory of God?